So uh, for many of you, this is an excuse to get away from Pesach cleaning or a uh, brief uh, respite from Pesach cleaning. But this is equally important as far as Pesach preparations. What we're going to do tonight, with Hashem's help, is prep for the Seder. Prep for the Seder. Um, the Seder means order. And there's a reason why we have an order. Why do we have to have an order? I thought we are free. I thought we can do whatever we want. Um, we were set free from the limitations of serving Pharaoh, and we were brought into the service of Hashem. So we didn't stop serving, but what we did is we switched from a service which was a, a waste of our potential to a service that is the really only way to truly fulfill our potential. So we don't stop serving. We, we, we just now, when we serve, we serve in a way that actually allows us to be who we truly are, which is really what freedom is all about. The ability to be true to yourself and to express your, your deepest potential. Um, so we have a lot of mitzvahs tonight. I mean, not tonight, tonight, but I'm like putting myself into that mood of the Seder. On the night of the Seder, we have, <clears throat> we have a lot of mitzvahs because we're, we're serving Hashem. And when you're serving, so uh, there's a lot to do. There's a lot to be of service about. And in order that we don't mess anything up or forget something or um, get distracted by, by one obligation, then we forget about another obligation. So that's why we have a Seder. We have an order because there's so much stuff Baruch Hashem, there's so much to do on this night, so <clears throat> we have to organize it in order to make sure it gets done. So what we're going to do is go through the Seder and uh, try to give you some interesting tidbits to share, whether you're hosting your own Seder or you are a guest at somebody else's Seder. And I'm going to go out of Seder. I'm going to go out of order <laughs> to begin with. No, just to begin with, because I wanted to share... A, uh, a teaching on the Haggadah. It's not from the beginning, it's from the very middle of the Haggadah, but it sets the tone for what I'm going to try to accomplish tonight. Um, there's a place in the Seder where we, um, during Magid, when we're telling the story of the servitude and the redemption, <clears throat> and we talk about the ten plagues. And after we say the ten, ten plagues one at a time, Dom Kinem Arif, and so on and so forth, then it says, Rabbi Yehuda Bohem Simonim. Rabbi Yehuda, the Mishnayak sage, Rabbi Yehuda, who is Rabbi Yehuda Bar Eloi, gave them Simonim. Simonim means abbreviated uh, shorthand. He, he made an acronym out of the ten plagues, Datsach Adash Bachav. He took the first letter of each of the ten plagues and uh, made a, like a shorthand, a mnemonic, to remind you of what the ten plagues are. So here's, here's the vort I want to share with you. There's a Gemara in Shabbos, Daf Lamed Gimel, uh, the, I think it's Omad Aleph, that says uh, Rabbi Yehuda was called Rosh HaMedabrim Bekol Mokim. 
that in every case, in every situation, at least during his lifetime, he was the Rosh HaMedabrim, the head speaker. There's a whole story about that it was actually a political thing. The Romans, who were in control of the Holy Land at that time, the Romans actually uh, dictated that Rabbi Yehuda should be the head speaker. Whenever the Jews would gather, they were supposed to allow Rabbi Yehuda to be the, the keynote. But at any rate, so here's the vort I want to share with you. <clears throat> Why was Rabbi Yehuda the keynote speaker on every occasion? You know why? Because Rabbi Yehuda knew how to take a long list and make it concise, shorten it, and say it short and sweet. So when you want a speaker, who do you want to get? The guy who's going to stretch things out or the guy who's going to be concise? Like George Burns said, a, uh, a good sermon needs to have three things. One, it has to have a great opening. That's the first thing. Two, it has to have a great closing. And three, those two should be as close together as possible. So, All right, so in the spirit of, I told you I'm going out of the Seder, to set the tone here, in the spirit <clears throat> of that vort about uh, being concise, I want to try to share with you some short divrei Torah that you can share with, uh, with your guests or your hosts or friends or family or wherever it is that you're making your Seder. We're going to try to share thoughts that can be conveyed quickly. That's the challenge. Okay, <clears throat> so let's begin with uh, the very beginning. The very beginning is actually Simon Seder Shel Pesach. We have that word Simon again, like it said Rabbi Yehuda gave the ten plague Simonim. Uh, here also we have Simonim, but uh, here it's not letters, it's, it's words, but I guess Rabbi Yehuda shortened a list of words into a bunch of letters, this list is taking a whole seder and shortening it into uh, a few words. And what are those few words? Kadesh, Urchatz, Karpas, Yachatz, Magid, Rochza, Meitzi, Matzah, Morach, Kedach, Shulchan, Orach, Tzofen, Beidach, Halal, Nirza. Okay. So those are, you know, there's a little song, and it's an ancient song, actually. Kadesh, Urchatz, Karpas, Yachatz. But I'll save you from my voice. Okay. Um, it sounds better when the whole family is singing, then it sounds okay, then it's, then it's tolerable. Um, <clears throat> so the first thing I'll tell you like this. How many simonim do we have here? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. Shulchan Oireich is two words, but it's one step. 12, 13, 14, 15, 15 steps! Okay, <clears throat> 15 is important. 15 is an important number. 15 is the first two letters of the four-letter name of Hashem. Hashem's ineffable name, Yud and He, and then a Vav and another He. We don't say those letters consecutively because it's even, not only do we not pronounce the name, we don't even say those letters consecutively. And those four letters correspond to different worlds and different spheroids, Kabbalistically speaking. The top, if you imagine Hashem's name written vertically, 
uh, and, and it's a map of what we call Sederish Tauslis, the, the worlds, the, the chain-like evolution of different planes of reality, which bring reality as we know it into being. So the top letter is Yud, and that represents Chochmah. And then the next letter is He, and that represents Bina. And then you have the lower two letters. The Vav is the uh, Midois, the emotional faculties. And the lower He is Malchus, which is the, the final faculty of Hashem, which is involved in actual uh, world building and making something outside of himself, as it were. So 15 is the first two letters. Yod is 10, and He is 5. So 10 plus 5 is 15. So 15 is Yod and He, which are Chachma and Bina, which are the faculties of the intellect. What does that mean? That means that the entire Seder is Avoidas HaMoichin to use the Kabbalistic term. It is a process of refining our minds, our own Chochmah and Bina. In other words, the process of going through the Seder is supposed to rewire our brains so that we perceive more godliness in our lives. Okay. I don't know. There was a... I'm trying, I'm going for brevity. You know, it's a Kabbalistic concept. I could have unpacked it a little bit more, could have explained it more, but I'm trying to be... Uh, Try, I'm, we're, going for, we're going for speed over here. Speed chess. Okay. Anyways, let's keep moving. Um, let's go to, uh, to Yachatz. Okay? So, uh, yeah. Break the middle matzah. Very good. So here, here's, a, here's a cute one. This is, this is, I can do this one quickly. It's a story. Who doesn't like a story? Um, Yachatz, you know that you break the middle matzah. And uh, you know the, the story about the Israeli Air Force was flying a new fighter jet, and whenever they would bring it up close to the speed of sound, this particular new jet, they spent billions of dollars on it, and for some reason they would bring it up to the speed of sound, and um, the wings would fall off. The wings would just fall right off. So they went to the different engineers and asked them to troubleshoot it. And none of the smartest Jewish engineers in the Israeli Air Force could figure out the problem. Finally, they said, you know what? We're Jewish. We should ask a rabbi. You know, even though it's really not a typical rabbi question. But, you know, we're Jews. Let's ask a rabbi. So the Israeli Air Force, they asked the rabbi, what should we do? So the rabbi said, what's the problem? The wings are falling off. He said, take a drill and perforate the wings. Make a take holes in the fuselage next to the, where the wings uh, are connected. And they said, well, that's going to weaken it. That's not going to make it better. He says, just trust me. Just do it. Just do it. So they went and they followed what the rabbi said, and they poked holes. They perforated along the wing. And they took it up to the speed of sound. Thing flew beautiful. It landed. Everything held into place. Nothing broke. And uh, they came back to the rabbi and they said, it worked, but how did you know? He says, I know from Pesach, because the matzah breaks everywhere except along the holes. So that's how I knew. Okay. Um, 
But the story is like this. That wasn't the story I, was, I wanted to tell you. The story I want to tell you is that one time, the Tamach Tzedek, that's the third Rebbe of Chabad, that's the grandson of the Balatanya, at his Seder, somebody, one of the people who was in attendance, uh, broke his middle matzah, and you know what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to take uh, the bigger half. I don't know, how could you have a bigger half? Half means half, but we use the term half loosely over here. Um, so you take the bigger half, and you put it aside as the afikoimen, which is the dessert, the final uh, matzah that you'll eat at the end of the meal. And then the smaller half you leave on your Seder plate. So uh, he was, he broke it and apparently it broke pretty evenly. And he was kind of perplexed which one was the bigger half. So he was holding them up, this guest at the Tzemach Tzedek Seder was holding up the two halves of the matzahs and sort of comparing them side by side, hmm, trying to figure out which one is the bigger half, which one should be put aside as the Afikoyman. And um, the Tzemach Tzedek noticed that, he noticed his side-by-side comparing, and he said, a big one who has to be compared to a small one in order to be determined that he's big is not big at all. And the Tzemach Tzedek's little grandson, the Rebbe Rashab, was in attendance, and he heard that, and he said, from that day, from that moment, I developed a keen disdain for any type of self-aggrandizement at the, at the cost, at the expense of somebody else. You just have to be your best self. Never try to establish greatness by way of comparison to someone else. Okay, so that's, that's Yachatz. All right. Manishtana. So now we come to the famous Manishtana. All right. So uh, there's a famous story about the Shpola Zede. The Shpola Zede was one of the Talmidim of the Baal Shem Tov. And uh, he's famous for Pidin uh, Shvoyim, for redeeming captives, and for other mitzvahs he was involved in. There's a famous story about dancing in the bear suit. That, uh, but I'm going quickly, so I'm not going to do the dancing in the bear suit. Um, and uh, you know the story, the Kazak story? Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, we'll give, maybe another time. Um, but here's the story about the Shpola Zayde. One time, at the Seder of the Shpola Zayde, he had kids. Shpola Zayde had kids. He, uh, I actually met one of his descendants, not one of his kids, because they lived like 200 years ago, but I actually met somebody whose last, or his mother's last name, he was descended from the Shpola Zayde on his mother's side, that his last name was Zaid, which means silk in Yiddish, but he said it's actually not silk, it's Zaid, it's Zaide, like the Polish pronunciation of Zaid, because they're descended from the Shpola Zaida. At any rate, so um, the Shpola Zaida had kids. That's how you get descendants. Well, that's how you start. That's the, how you start the process. And then the kids have kids, and then before you know it, you have descendants. All right. Yeah, the biology, free biology lesson. I won't even charge extra. Okay. So, the Shvola Zedi Seder, his little kids, they said, Kadesh, right? That's the first of the Simonim. 
as a tati come to him from shul macht der bald kiddish it's the yiddish sing song that is customary to sing along with each of the simonim uh, each of the little mnemonic words and that's all they said they just said that which in yiddish means when when, when the father comes home from shul he immediately makes kiddish well customarily it's there's more to the sentence macht about kiddish kedai as a kid looks on the in order that the children don't fall asleep and when zogin manishtana and they they're able to stay awake and say the manishtana so um Shvalazeda asked his kids, well, say the rest. They said, well, there is no rest. That's all we know. He said, what, why, why is that all you know? So the Malamed, the teacher of the Shvalazeda's children, were in attendance at the Seder. So he asked the Malamed, he's like, why don't the kids know the rest of the sentence? He's like, well, I decided not to burden them with it. I didn't teach that to them because the main thing they should know is when the, when the father comes home for shul, he immediately makes kiddush. They don't need to know that the reason is in order the children don't fall asleep because the reason is not even important because the truth is the halacha is that on any Shabbos or Yom Tov, even if it's not Pesach, you're supposed to make Kiddush immediately when you come home. By the way, did you know that? It's a halacha. Yeah, a lot of people kratz. They waste a lot of time. They come home from shul and then they start standing around and schmoozing. You know, actually, if you come home, you don't have you don't have to come straight home from shul. That's a little, yeah, expert... Uh, pro tip for you. You don't have to come home immediately from shul after davening, but if you do come home, once you come home, you're not supposed to delay Kiddush. You have to make Kiddush right away. At any rate, so the teacher says to the Shvalazani, he's like, well, I didn't really think it was important to say the reason why the father makes Kiddush right away, because the truth is you're supposed to make Kiddush right away. Anytime that you make Kiddush, and the Shvalazani said, Oye, why did you do that? Why did you change these words? Don't you understand that there are Kabbalistic secrets in these words? No, he didn't know. He just thought it's a little cute little thing that kids say. He says, there are double meanings. There are double meanings that are hidden in these words. And then he explained to him. He said that the Jewish people, they all make their preparations for Pesach, and they clean, and they cook, and it's very tiring. And then at the end of it all comes the night of Pesach, and they, they go to shul. And it's, that's a big deal. Like After everything they were doing for the past days and weeks, some people even start months in advance. Uh, and then and they go to shul, and they daven, and they say hallel. We say the, the, the verses of hallel, of praise, on the night of uh, Pesach. And Hashem is just blown away by this fact that the, the Jewish people, after all that, that they're, they're davening in shul. And when he returns, when Hashem returns to his heavenly abode from having visited the shuls of the Jewish people, as the tate, as the father, when the father, Avinu Shebeshemayim, our heavenly father, kum tehem von shul, when he returns from visiting the shuls of, the earthly shuls of the Jewish people, and he returns to his heavenly abode, machter bald kiddush, he immediately sanctifies, kiddush really means sanctification, he sanctifies the Jewish people, he proclaims their unique uh, holiness. Uh, Today, why does he do, why does he do it immediately? As the kinderlich, the children, meaning Bnei Yisrael, the Jewish people are called Hashem's children. Zolnisht einschlafen, they shouldn't fall asleep. What does it mean they shouldn't fall asleep? They shouldn't fall asleep and not ask manishtana halayla hazeh. Why is this night, this gallus, this exile that we've been in for two thousand years? Why is this nishtana? Why is it different? You know, when we were in exile, uh, the Babylonian exile was 70 years. 
between the first and second temple. What is this 2,000 years? Why is it so different? Why is it so long? And uh, that's what the double meaning is, that Hashem sees everything we're doing for Pesach, and He says we've got to bring Mashiach quickly because uh, if we don't, then the Jewish people may become numb to the conditions of exile, and they won't even ask anymore, why is this exile so different than every other exile that we've been in? And uh, next time, don't mess with the words. Okay, so that's, that's Manishtana. Um, let's, uh, let's continue here. Okay, a story. I'm not going to do every paragraph. I'm just giving you some of the... Remember, the, the, the goal here is that we could tell quickly. There's a story about these sages, the ones that I just read. They were having their Seder together in Bnei Brak, in the city of Bnei Brak. They were telling the story of the Exodus all night. Ad until their students came to and said to them, Masters, the time of the morning Shema has arrived. Okay. This is a very interesting story. Why were they telling the story of the Exodus all night? Uh, you know, when did they think they were going to finish? They were just going to keep going. It seemed like they were going and going and going. On the other hand, why were the students, if indeed that was the plan, just to keep going, why were the students interrupting? I mean, it's a chutzpah. Why are students telling the teachers, oh, it's coming, it's coming dawn. <laughs> First of all, if I want to know it's dawn, I know what to do. I can look out the window. I see that the, the light is coming up. So I don't need you to tell me that. But also, it's not decorum that the students should tell the teachers, oh, got to wrap it up. The dawn has come. So the story is a little bit unusual here. So what, what, what's happening here? What's happening here is that we read just... In the previous paragraph, that even if we would all be wise and understanding and knowing the entire Torah, mitzvah aleinu, it would still be a commandment for us to tell the story of the Exodus. That's what we said in the previous paragraph. Another way to read that is. Lisaper, not to tell a sipur, to tell a story, but lisaper, like sapiros, which means shining, like a sapphire. We become luminescent. How? Through telling the story. And then the result is, bietzias mitzrayim. We go out of our mitzvahim, whatever limitations we presently have, and we graduate to a whole new level, new vistas, new frontiers, new horizons. Okay. So, even if we are chachamim, neveinim, yedim, skolatayra, even if we're on this really super high level, we still have an obligation, as high of a level as we're on, to tell the story of the Exodus in a way where our souls shine and we, we hit a whole new spiritual level. All right. So the next paragraph, we read about these sages who were on a tremendously high level. The problem was they were on such, and, they, and, and even though they were on such a high level, like it says, even if we're on such a high level, we're, we still have to go even higher. 
But, you know, it's tough when you're that high. To get even higher, it's, it's not so simple. So they were struggling with that, and they were trying to inspire each other. And, you know, can you imagine trying to tell Rabbi Akiva a vort that he never heard before and, you know, blow him away? Like, it, was, it wasn't easy, right? So uh, they were trying to inspire each other, these sages, and trying to have that experience where, oh, it's a whole new level. And, and it wasn't happening. And that's why they were going, and they're going, and going. And now dawn is, is approaching. They're going all night trying to get each other inspired. And finally what happened is the students couldn't take it anymore. They're listening to all of this, and they're getting blown away. We're going to say, hold on a second. Who cares if the students are blown away? Mitzvah Aleinu, it's, the, it's incumbent upon all of us, even the great sages, to inspire ourselves. Who cares if the students are inspired? The, the teachers still... Uh, are not at their at their threshold, at their maximum capacity. Aha, but this is the teaching. This is the teaching. That sometimes the way to have a completely new experience for yourself is to inspire the newcomer, to help out somebody who's on a lower level, who's earlier in the process of spiritual growth and when you can inspire them effectively it has the same result for you so the students weren't interrupting they were actually letting the teachers know you did it masters you did it you gave us this out-of-body experience we're blown away we've completely left our limitations behind we're on a totally new level because of listening to what you're saying and therefore, effectively, uh, it's as if the teachers had accomplished the same thing for themselves as well. And that's why they describe it as the time for the morning Shema has arrived. Not that they're saying that it's morning, because for that you look out the window. But what they were saying is that it's light out now, spiritually. You have caused there to be a spiritual light, the light of Shema, which is proclaiming that God is one. In other words, we're listening to you guys talking, and the oneness of God is shining. You did it. Wonderful. You did it for us. It's as if you did it for yourselves. And that's an important lesson. That sometimes you've been to a Seder and another Seder and another Seder. It's like, how am I going to get excited? How am I going to get inspired? I, I, I know all of my, uh, my go-to Vertolach. Uh, Ah, so you invite somebody who's a little bit less experienced. Maybe somebody who uh, is not the first person you would expect to even be interested in a Seder. Maybe you really reach out and find somebody who's uh, an unlikely guest. And anything they hear is novel to them. Anything that they hear is new to them. And so they're getting excited just by stuff. You're like, that's exciting to you? Come on, everybody knows that. Ah, but when you can in inspire another Jew, even with something that to you is old hat, but you inspire them, then, then effectively it has the same result for you, and you go out of your limitations as well. Okay. How am I doing on the premise of saying things that I can do quickly? Is this quickly? Is this considered quickly? No, this is not quickly. Okay. So, all right, I'm going to step it up. I'm going to step it up. All right. Double speed. No, but it's not, the trick is not to speak faster. The, speak, the trick is to speak less, to say less words. I'm going to try to do it in less words. All right.
All right, so let's try to figure out one that takes less words. Um, so let's go to the four sons. Let's go to the four sons. Keneged arba banim dibra teira. Echad chacham ve'echad rasha ve'echad tam ve'echad she'ena yedei Elisha. Let's see if I can do this one in very few words. Corresponding to four sons, does the Torah speak? One who is a wise son, one who is a wicked son, one who is a simple son, and one who does not even know how to ask. Why does it say one before each one of them? I know how to count. He told me there's four. And just say, Chacham, Rasha, Tam, She'ena Yedei Elisha. Why does it say, Echod Chacham, Ve'echod Rasha, Ve'echod Tam, Ve'echod She'ena Yedei Elisha? The answer is that when you are raising children, even if you have four children or more, every one of them is an echod. You have to treat each one like an only child. Somebody once complained to the Lubavitcher Rebbe, I gave all of my children the same chinuch. I don't know why I got different results. I don't know why some I was more successful, some I was less successful. I gave them all the same education. The Rebbe said, but that's the problem. You can't give them all the same education. Each one is an only child. Okay. Was it, that was, okay. All right. We'll try to keep it in that range of brevity. Brevity is the soul of wit. Who said that? Was that Shakespeare? Shakespeare said that? Is that? Can somebody Google that? Who said brevity is the soul of wit? I think it's Shakespeare. Ah. You're getting free biology, free Shakespeare. We don't charge extra for all this uh, extra uh, edgy. It's Hamlet. Oh, so it wasn't Shakespeare. It was some guy named Hamlet. <laughs> you like that? Lahavdil, <laughs> I'll tell you a joke that I made up once. Okay. Uh, I actually wrote this joke, so if you appreciate it, uh, I'll take credit for it. All right, if it bombs, I'll, I'll take the blame. Um, I was one time, I was saying, you know, in yeshiva, we learn Gemara all the time. We're learning Talmud. We don't learn Tanakh. We don't learn Tanakh. It's like a thing in yeshiva, you don't learn Tanakh. And I feel like I'm really ignorant in Tanakh. Like, for instance, Mishle. I would love to learn Mishle. I'd like to know more, know more about Mishle. Like, when did he live? What did he do? You get it? Wasn't funny. Okay, you got the you understood the joke. You just it wasn't funny. Okay, Mishle means proverbs. So I'm saying, oh, I wish I knew more about Tanakh, and then I'm like being super ignorant by saying I wish I knew like who was this guy Mishle. There's no guy Mishle. It's, it means proverbs. Okay, all right. <sighs> That's the joke. Okay. Um, you want another four children for it? I'll give you another one. Okay. Um, same thing. For, we'll get two for the price of one. So the same idea. Echod chacham ve'echod rasha ve'echod tom ve'echod she'ena yedei elisha. So here's the word. That in every single Jew, of every single type, whether they're wise or wicked or everything in between, the Shema Yisrael Shem Elokeinu Hashem Echod the oneness of Hashem is present by virtue of their neshama. 
So don't be fooled by the way somebody presents themselves at the Seder or anywhere else. You have to know that there's an neshama there, which is godliness, which is echad. Is it good? Quick? Okay. What? The yechida. Very good. Yeah, that's right. Yechida shvenafish. I'm going to talk about yechida, actually. Remind me to come back to yechida when we speak about the makais. Because that's actually my favorite Pesach of art. Okay. Um, and I'll tell you one more on this same part of the Haggadah. And that is, um, you may have heard Lubavitcher Rebbe spoke about the idea of the fifth son. Who's the fifth son? So the Rebbe explained like this. The Rasha, he's called the Rasha, the wicked son, but at the end of the day, how bad is he? He's at the Seder, right? He's, he's asking questions. Yeah, he's a little bit uh, standoffish, but at the end of the day, he actually came to the Seder and he's asking questions. So it's a lot better than the alternative that there are Jews who aren't even at a Seder, either because they don't know, they're oblivious, they're clueless, they don't even know it's Passover in the world, or maybe out of rejection, they don't, they're, they're, they're refusing, they're boycotting, they won't come to the Seder. So th that's the fifth son. That's the, there's four sons who are all at the Seder, including even the so-called wicked son. Um, but then there's the fifth son who's not even there. And uh, well, wh where do we get this? It sounds like homiletics. It sounds very inspiring, cute, but is there a basis to say such a thing? Ah, so the Rebbe actually got this from his father, who was a Makubal. And uh, he used to explain Kabbalistically a lot of things through the system of gematria, of numerical values. So he says like this, when it talks about, when it introduces the four sons, so it says, echod, 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 like we said before, one, 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 one. The word one, echod, aleph, ches, dalet, is uh, in gematria, so aleph is one. Ches is eight. Dalet is Four. So one, eight, four. One plus eight plus four? Thirteen. Okay. And, but it says that four times because it says echot before each of the sons. So you have thirteen four times, which is fifty-two. Fifty-two. And fifty-two is bigamatria ben. Ben means son. Base is two, known as fifty. Fifty-two. So the echad before each of the four sons hints to the hidden fifth son, the ben hachamishi, the fifth son who's not even there at the Seder. And our job is to bring him to the Seder and then hearkening back to our other vort about uh, when you can inspire somebody else, it's even better than inspiring yourself. I don't think I said it's better than, but uh, I said it's as, it's as good as inspiring yourself. So then, yeah, if you can find a, a fifth son and inspire a fifth son or daughter, um, you can't get better than that. Okay, let's keep moving. Um, let's move on from this part. And uh, let's move to, well, remember I said it reminded me of the Yechida? When we come to the Makos? Okay. Maybe, maybe we'll do that one. Because that one's a little bit... That one's a little bit long. But let me see if I can try to do it quickly. So I mentioned before... There's ten plagues. Very, you've been to a Seder before. 
Sounds like you know this. Chayshech Makis Bacheres, which is uh, blood and frogs and lice and mixed animals and blight. I don't even know what blight is, but endeavor that's blight. Um, boils and uh, hail and locusts and darkness and the slaying of the firstborn. Okay. So, something interesting here. Rabbi Yesia Glili Aymer, Rabbi Yesia Glili says, How do you know that the Mitzrim were struck by ten plagues in Mitzrayim? The Egyptians were struck with ten plagues in Egypt and fifty plagues at the sea, the splitting of the sea, because, so he interprets a couple of verses here, um, that in Egypt, the Khartoumim, the sorcerers, Pharaoh's court magicians, referred to one of the plagues as Etzba Elakim, the finger of God. The Etzba Elakim, the finger of God. And then by the sea, it says, that the Jewish people saw the great hand that the Lord wrought upon the Egyptians. Well, hold on a second. In Egypt, you're talking about a finger. At the sea, you're talking about a hand. Ah, so a finger and a hand, that's like a, what's the value there, the conversion rate, about the five to one, right? Generally speaking, don't ask an AI. I heard they're very bad at that. You know that, by the way, that the AIs, that's the one thing they can't do? They can't do the right amount of fingers. Do you know that? Yeah, you heard about that? They, like have Simpsons syndrome a lot of times with the... Yeah, what? The day of the week. The day of the week? Oh, they can't do the day of the week? Oh, I didn't hear about that. I heard about the, the fingers. They can't get the fingers right. Neither have too many, too little. <clears throat> but at any rate, so five. So, Yesi Aglili says <clears throat> that if there were ten plagues in Egypt, famous ten plagues, then there were 50, <coughs> 50 plagues, five times ten, at the sea. Okay, fine. But then it continues, and it says, Rabbi Eliezer, amen. Rabbi Eliezer says that it was actually um, four, every plague was fourfold. And he, 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 um, what do you call it? Uh, Darshan's it. He, uh, he, blocking on the English word for this. How do you say it? He, what, 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 what word? Extrapolate. Extrapolate, yeah, extra, not really extrapolate. It's, it, the, the, uh, the exegetical, the hermeneutics, the, what's the verb here? He pulls it out. He uh, deduces it. I don't know. He figures it out from a verse in Tehillim, Yishalach Bom Charein Apei. Evra v'zam v'tzara mishlachas malachei royim. So he figures out that there's four terms of destruction in that verse. So really every plague is fourfold. And therefore, what does he come up with? Follow the math. Forty plagues in Egypt and two hundred at the sea. You following? Because if there were five times as many plagues at the sea as there were in Egypt, which the standard way of counting it, which is how Yesia Glili counts it, is ten and fifty. But Rabbi Eliezer says every plague was really fourfold, so now we get 40 and 
200. But then it says, They were fivefold. So now he's going to get 50 plagues in Egypt, because the 10 are really 50. And then at the sea, he's going to get 250, because 10 times 5 times 5. 250. You guys following this? Following the math? Okay. All right. All right. So, what's going on here? What are the fourfold plagues and fivefold plagues and all that stuff? So, here's what's explained. The purpose of the plagues was to dislodge the spiritual impurity from Egypt. The question is, how deeply had the spiritual impurity penetrated and taken hold? One way of looking at it is only the superficial form of things was, was defiled. But on an elemental level, which uh, we describe as the Dalad Yesodis, the four elements, you know what the four elements are? Fire is the highest one, then you have air, then you have water, then you have earth. Which always bothered me, earth, wind, and fire. Where was, where was, uh, what you call it, where was water? Was there a guy who was water and he, he threw him out of the band? Was he like the, who was the, 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 the drummer that got, got thrown Pete out of the Beatles? Best. Pete Best. Was there a guy in Earth, Wind, and Fire who was water, and he was like the Pete Best of Earth, Wind, and Fire? I don't know, but maybe you could ask ChatGPT to write you an essay about that. Okay, at any rate, so these are the things that I think about. The four elements. Perhaps the spiritual impurity had penetrated even to the elemental level, and the plagues had to had to strike with such force that they actually uh, disrupted the things in Egypt on, a, on an elemental level. So, for instance, the first plague was blood. When the blood, when the when the water was turned into blood, was it just the superficial form of water that was turned into blood? That's what Rabbi Yisiah Glilu would say, or was it even the elemental? components of the water so the water of the water and the air of the water and the and the and the earth of the water and the fire of the water and all of it was turned into blood on an elemental level in order to dislodge the impurity and in fact this same machlaikis uh, corresponds to the difference in opinion regarding what is required as far as destruction of chametz because chametz on pesach represents the spiritual impurity of egypt yeah, so that's why Rabbi Yisiaglili, who says that the plagues were only singular plagues, they were not multifaceted, he says you can destroy Hamas just by tearing it up and destroying its form. However, Rabbi Eliezer holds, um, like Rabbi Yehuda, who says that you have to burn it. Why do you have to burn it? Because that's the only way to break it apart on its elemental level, not just its external form. Okay, so that's one versus four. What's the five? Why does Rabbi Akiva say that every plague was fivefold? What's the five? Because 
fifth level is the quintessence. You ever wonder what quintessence means? It's a fancy word we like to use. Rabbis like to use the word quintessence. We say this is the epitome and the quintessential and the whatever, but quintessence actually uh, has, a, has a very specific meaning. You know, it's like quintuplets. You know quintuplets? You know how many that is? Five. Um, quintessence means the fifth level. It's called Huli. It is primordial matter. If all of physical reality is made of the four elements, the four elements in turn are made of this Huli. Um, in, in, in Greek, well in Greek they have different letters anyways, but in the general way of English spelling or transliteration of ancient Greek, I think it's spelled H-Y-L-E. But in, uh, but in rabbinic Hebrew, it's, it's uh, pronounced huli. So the, huli, the, the hey is not a hey a yedia. It's not a definite article. It is huli. Huli's part of the hey is part of the name. At any rate, so that quintessence, that's the primordial matter, the stuff that all stuff is made of. Rabbi Akiva says that the, the impurity had taken hold even on that level, and therefore the plagues had to penetrate to that level. Now, here's, I'm wrapping up here, here's the, here's the, the, the personal takeaway. We know that everything that happens on Pesach is happening internally. Egypt is within, and the Exodus is within. This is all happening within, within ourselves. So when the ten plagues happen within ourselves, and they dislodge the impurity within ourselves, how deeply do they have to penetrate? There are levels of the soul. You could say, well, it has to dislodge the impurity on my soul. Just one level. That would be like Rabbi Yisiaglili, who says the plagues were only one-dimensional. Or you could say, no, hold on a second. The soul has nefesh, and has ruach, and it has neshama, and it even has a transcendent level called chaya. And therefore, I need to dislodge the impurity on all four of those levels and to be rid of it. Okay. But then there's a fifth level, which is Yechida. And Yechida is the quintessence of the soul. Yechida is called Yechida because it is Yochid, it is together at one with Hashem at all times. Uh, it is never tainted by sin because it is one with Hashem. That's how atonement works on Yom Kippur. We pray five prayers in order to reach that fifth level where sin was never effective. And... Uh, that's what we call the essence of the soul. Now, normally, we would say there's no way to be exposed to impurity on that level. But Rabbi Akiva says it's possible that even the, the deepest core of the soul could also require a, a little shake-up. And then the question is, well, why did Rabbi Akiva perceive that if Rabbi Eliezer didn't? Like, how could Rabbi Akiva perceive such a thing as even a Yechida Shebenefesh, the depth of the soul, could require uh, being freed from impurity? So it's explained because Rabbi Akiva was unique. He was unique in that he came from a non-Jewish lineage. His father was a convert. And therefore, he understood that a Jewish soul could be in a situation where it is 
divorced from its from itself, and and even on the level of yechida, it could require uh, freedom, some type of liberation. The other sages didn't perceive that. The lowest level that they could perceive would be that the four levels of the soul could require liberation. They couldn't perceive that a yechida should be trapped in a situation that would need being freed from. But Rabbi Akiva was sensitive to that. Okay, at any rate, that was not short. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's, let's try to do, let's try to do a, a short-ish one. How you like that? Um, yeah, let's look at the, yeah, everyone likes Dayenu, right? <laughs> everyone likes Dayenu, classic song. Dayenu, Dayenu, okay. Um, what's this that we say Dayenu, it would have been enough. Would have been enough, would have been enough. Are you joking? Like, you say it would have been enough, but then there's like another thing. So you don't really mean it would have been enough because then there's the next thing, the next thing. And if he would have brought us to the sea and he wouldn't have split it. Dayeno, like really? But then he'd be standing there. Oh, okay, fine. If he would have split it, <laughs> but then he wouldn't have made all the treasures wash up onto it. It would have been enough. Yeah, but then each line you're coming to another thing. So why, why, do, you, why do you say Dayeno? Like, sounds disingenuous. Okay, so here's the thing. Dayenu doesn't mean it would have been enough. Dayenu means it would have been enough for us. Dayenu, it would have been enough for us. We were ready to settle at that point. If it were up to us, we would have said, ah, this is as good as it gets. It doesn't get any better than this. And uh, maybe for us it was enough, but for Hashem it was not enough. For Hashem... He was not finished with us until he got us into our land and he built the holy temple and had his dwelling place in the physical world. And the same thing we have to realize that even if we are spiritual seekers and we are doing mitzvahs and we're learning Torah and we're, we're, we're so grateful for our ability to connect spiritually and we say, oh, this is beautiful. We're, 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 we're living the life. Well, it's really not about you. It's about Hashem. And Hashem is not finished until he has his dwelling place in the physical world back. This time he wants even more than last time. Last time it was just in the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. This coming time when Hashem will return, he wants the entire world should become a dwelling place for his presence. So it might be enough for you. We might be enjoying all of our religious freedoms and we're feeling very inspired, but it's not... It's not enough. It's not enough till Hashem gets the whole kit and caboodle, which is Mashiach. Okay, just something important to remember. Um, <clears throat> yeah. You guys going to remember this stuff? You say that? Anyone got anything that they could actually use over here? Yeah. Okay. I I'll give you one. I'll give you one. This nobody would even think to have a vort on this, because it's not even really the Seder, it's an instruction. It's an instruction line. Um, so after you do, <coughs> so, you <coughs> so you actually find, you, you finish the, the, the Magid, the, which is the telling the story, and then you do the, the you, you eat the matzah and the mara and the sandwich. Um, so then it says, Shulchan Oirech, the meal, 
ואחר כך אוכל ושסק כדי צורכי. ויוכל לשתוס יין בין כוס בייס לגימל. You can eat as much as you need, and you can have more wine between cups two and three. Okay, fine. It's just like a technical thing. What's so exciting about that? No, it is exciting. I'll explain to you why. Between cup one and two, you can't have more wine. Cup one is Kiddush. Kaddish. Cup two is the one that we just had at this point right here when we finish Magid. And we're about to eat the matzah. Cup three is benching at the end of the meal, when we bench, when we say the grace after meals. Cup four is at the end of the whole thing, Nirza, when we're, when we're all finished. So between cup one and two, you can't have any other cups. You can't like pour a cup in the middle of Magid and just drink it. Between cup three and four, you can't drink more wine. I mean, by that point, you've eaten the afikoyment. So really, you're not supposed to have anything. Some people won't even drink water at that point. But yeah, you're not supposed to have another cup of wine. And then certainly after cup four, where you're, at that point, the whole Seder is over, there's, you don't drink wine. You don't eat, eat or drink till the next day. But between cups two and three, you can drink as much as you want. Okay. Why is this interesting? The four cups correspond to the four sons. The first son, like we said earlier, is the Chocham, the wise son. He's the easy kid to deal with. Second son is the Rasha. He's rebellious. He feels excluded. The disenfranchised kid. The third son is uh, the simple one. And the fourth one uh, is the oblivious one, which doesn't even know how to ask questions, so you, know, you don't have problems with him, so I guess for now it's also you know, easy to deal with. Um, each of those cups is a one-shot deal. You drink the cup, and that's it. You don't drink another cup. It's only the second son. Who's who? The second son? Russia. You can drink as many cups as you need. In other words, don't tell me well, I don't know, he was making a fuss at the Seder, and I tried to answer his questions, but he just didn't want to listen. So I gave it a shot. So give it another shot. And give it another shot. And give it another shot. There's no limit to the amount of attempts that you're allowed to take on the second cup. So that's, a, that's a lesson for us. Don't give up on a Jew. Okay. Um... We got here. What do, what do we do for a grand finale? Okay, I'll tell you. <laughs> oh, by the way, I just want to give you a pro tip over here um, before I tell you the last Vartura. And that is sometimes the best strategy is not to tell these Divartura when they come up in the Haggadah. Sometimes the best strategy is that when something comes up, you say, okay, I have something interesting to say about this, but I'll tell you at the meal. Just a practical 
uh, pro tip there. Sometimes you can just tell people, heads up, I have something interesting about this, but we're not going to talk about it right now because I know everybody wants to uh, get to the meal. So I'll tell you during the meal. And then when they have their mouths full, you can, you can talk. Okay. Here's the last thing I'll tell you. This, this is really, um, this is what it's all about in the end. At the end of the Seder, we say, Lashona haba birushalayim. Next year in, in Jerusalem. Sounds like kind of a downer. Like, oh no, you're telling me we tried. It didn't work. Obviously, we're still here. Okay, try again next year. I gotta wait a whole year. Gotta wait a whole other year for this. And uh, no, that is not the correct reading. Lashana Abab Yerushalayim means that next year, next time we have a Seder, we're going to be in Yerushalayim. But that doesn't mean you have to wait until next year for Mashiach to come. That means, all right, so we finished the Seder in Gaulis. We're still in exile. Mashiach will be here a second from now. And then next year's Seder will be entirely in a state of redemption. And uh, the Alter Rebbe's Nusach of the Haggadah, the Balatanya, in his... Haggadah, he does not have the customary words that you'll find in many Haggadahs where it says, we hereby complete, Chasla Seder Pesach. He does not have that word, that we've completed the Seder. And you could think, well, maybe it's just a printer's omission, maybe, I don't know, they ran out of ink. But uh, there's a deeper explanation, which is that the point of the Seder is ongoing liberation from all limitations, from anything that is holding us back from living up to our full potential. So we never finish the Seder. If we do the Seder right, the whole point of it is continuous growth, constant growth. And therefore, the Seder really doesn't end. We bring it into the year with us. Okay. Anyways, I hope this helps everybody with their Seder. And you'll tell me how, how it goes over. And you can even, you can use my, uh, what was my joke? My Michelet joke. You can crack everybody up with my Michelet joke. Okay.